And hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the One Body Show. Here on 88.1, broadcasting in both Hayes and Great Bend, Kansas. My name is George Tolman. For those of you who are regular listeners to Divine Mercy Radio, uh, my voice should sound a little bit familiar to you. But for those of you who are who are not familiar with my voice, that maybe not familiar with the station, my name is George Tolman. I am a school psychologist currently serving uh, the Lincoln Public Schools in Lincoln, Nebraska. I earned my graduate degree at Fort Hayes State University in Hayes, Kansas. And while I was there, I had a good opportunity to be involved with Catholic Radio, be part of the Catholic Disciples crew there at the Como Catholic Campus Center. I still have friends in the area. Uh, and so every now and then I contribute to the station. Thankfully, they haven't kicked me off yet, so it's really good. And that's who I am. Now, most importantly, I will say that who I am as a person, uh, I'm a beloved child of God. I am very passionate about my Catholic faith, and that's the reason why I share talks with you, because I want to share the faith with you. I want to share my ideas with you, not necessarily trying to convert anyone's heart. That's really up for God's call and and, and wherever you're at, uh, but just to share with you the fruits of my meditations, the fruits of some of the study that I do, again, some of my thoughts. And that's the reason why I talk on Catholic Radio. And it's a very beautiful opportunity to share the faith with you. And as always, it is my pleasure to be on the air again today. And so today what we're going to do is, is as I'm recording this show, we are actually in the middle of the Advent season. And I thought what I would do is, is meditate on the importance of being a child and thinking that you are a child in the eyes of God to help us celebrate Advent with a little more fervor. There's a question that comes up at the beginning of every Advent that happens in a lot of parishes. It happened in my parish here in Lincoln, Nebraska, when we hit the first Sunday of Advent. And that question is, what are you going to do this Advent to make it more of Christ? What are you going to do to allow yourself to be immersed in his love and mercy? And I think it's a good question for for all of us to endeavor, especially those of us who, who are practicing Catholic And today I'm just going to share with you my thoughts. And the thoughts that I have on this is what I alluded to about a minute ago, which is if we want to celebrate Advent, we should celebrate being a child. And I was thinking, as I was thinking about doing this talk, one thing came up to my mind that I thought was a little bit disappointing, but I never, I never really thought through it. And the thought is this, whenever you hear the phrase act like a child, it is usually in a context that is not appropriate. It's in a context that represents misbehavior, right? Inappropriate behavior. So when I were to say something to the effect of, I want you to be a child, what do you think about? You think about impulsivity, egotistical, uh, always wanting to get their way, uh, rambunctious, whatever, you know, things that you probably don't think are good. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, that's pretty unfortunate. You know, there is truth that when you're younger, that you're more susceptible to egoism. <laughs> you're more susceptible to being more egotistical in your life. You know, we, we call it the terrible twos and threes for a reason. But when you get past that point and you get to the age of maturity and then you grow out of adolescence and you become an adult, you know, you do mature and hopefully you make good, good decisions to 
to be able and, and and live your life. But you know, when you when you really think about it, this whole idea of being God's child, with our current way of understanding children, it doesn't really add up. Now, of course, someone will say, "Well, George, you know what we're referring to with being a child of God is the childlike trust and faith and everything." And, and I and I I get that, but there's also the element of the innocence of the child and and the elements of of looking up to someone with this awe-inspiring notion when they've done something so little. There's a lot more that's good about being a child. And, and again, you know, just sharing with my thoughts on the matter, it's really unfortunate that whenever we hear the phrase, be a child, it's always usually in a, in a negative context. So today what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to package this idea, celebrating Advent by being a child. And what I want to do is I want to talk about how God does certain things in our life that without it, we would be very much lost. But because he puts them in our life, he reminds us that we are children. He reminds us that we are his creation, his beloved creation, and he wants us to experience his love his way. And in order to appreciate that the most, quoting from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you need to come to me like children. So we're going to investigate that a little bit more and add some, some theological thought to it. So first off, let's talk about the simple aspect of God the Father. God our loving Father. When we think about God the Father, what do we think about? Do we think about a loving Father? Do we think about a vengeful Father? Do we think about an authoritarian Father? What do we think about? I think it's a really good point to start any kind of conversation when we talk about being a child of God. Is what is your interpretation of the Father? In most situations, your interpretation of God the Father is going to be dependent on how your relationship was with your own father, your biological father. And though that's not true in every case, that's where it usually starts in, in a lot of people's minds. And some of your preconceived notions about what does a father do, what does a father provide, etc., all kind of linger in the sense of what was your interpretation of your own dad, of your own father. And one of the things that I want to really emphasize in this talk in terms of celebrating Advent and being, doing it by being a child We need to be very sensitive to something that I believe is starting to really gain momentum in the Catholic Church, something that I think that really needs to be mentioned more and more, and that is when you think about the world as a whole, one of the biggest lies that Satan has. Now, you know, and going back, I I should start with this. I have a really good friend who's who's a priest. I got I got many friends who are uh, who are priests, but this one in particular had a very deep devotion to uh, the spiritual life, devotion to the Holy Spirit, from what I could tell, devotion to our Blessed Lady, really believed in the healing charism of the Catholic Church. And we were known not too long ago, when we would see each other often at work or at church or other things, that we would find each other and then start immediately talking about theological things. So, I'm a psychologist. I'm a school psychologist. so I'm not a pure clinical psych. And so I'm not as maybe informed in therapies and other things as some of my friends who are clinical psychologists. But as a psychologist, I'm I'm very fascinated about the spiritual life. Um, I will admit that I'm not perfect in the spiritual life. In fact, I, I fall quite a bit. But I am fascinated with the spiritual life because when you look at elements of the spiritual life, and you look at what the great saints have written about the spiritual life, how to get to this union with God, as with St. John of the Cross and St. Um, Teresa of Avila would say, and, and others. You know, you know when you, w- the process in getting there 
surrendering, preparing oneself to encounter the Lord when you have no idea when it's coming. See, all those things, uh, to me, you can connect to psychology. Now, again, you cannot take psychology and then replace a spiritual life. What you can do is that you can take the spiritual life at its core and then use psychology to, to kind of help you help you out, if you will, kind of polish up the techniques that Mother Church has given us. So, you know, as one example, when we're, um, and this is an example that, that I use to help explain this proper connection, when you have someone who has, who has suffered an abortion, whether directly, indirectly, and whatnot, um, there is a wound, there is a, there is a profound physical wound, definitely psychological, emotional wound, that usually happens. Now, again, for, for some people out there who are listening Obviously, we are very pro-life on this radio station, uh, but for those of you who might question what I just said, there are many resources out there talking about the pains that women, men, and other families and groups have experienced because of abortion, and, and they, their words get like shot down by society and the media because no one wants to hear it. It doesn't support the political agenda, but there is a very strong group out there and some of them are hidden, but they are is a strong group who says, I really regret my abortion. I really regret having to go through that experience. And there are many men who are now sharing to their own sons and to others saying, I participated and helped this abortion. And now it plagues me to this day. So anyway, going back to the point here, though, this obvious wound that happens when someone experiences that kind of that kind of experience to their body, to their psyche, to their mind. And from the spiritual realm, you can go to confession and be forgiven of it, and it be wiped away from your soul in terms of eternal judgment. But even with that, there's this little thought that remains psychologically. Those lies about you're worthless, you're not lovable anymore because you did this, who can love you? Why would you do such a thing? You were trained so well in the faith, all this other kind of stuff that people go through. And, and some people ask themselves, well, why, <laughs> why am I going through this? I thought I went to confession. Well, well, there's also a psychological element too, right? So even when we have our sins confessed, which again, that's, that's the only thing that really matters at the end of the day for our salvation is where our soul is at in terms of union with God, right? But in terms of the holistic approach, there is a psychological element involved where we have to help encourage people and love them even more for coming to the Lord, asking God's forgiveness and his mercy, and giving them that love that they desire from as being humans. Because that woundedness, even though spiritually it may be gone, the, the remnants still remain. And I personally believe that it's our job as friends, as family, to really support one another, not to criticize one another, but to support one another, uh, to be able to help those individuals out. And of course, I used a very extreme example in abortion, but it could be anything from thievery to lives to ugly breakups, whatever. Once we have God's mercy and love in our lives through the sacraments, through confession especially, through encountering our Lord in the Eucharist, um, when we have those things and we ask for true uh, repentance, then we need to give that love to other individuals, recognizing the work that God has done for them. So again, why did I bring all that up? It shows the point that in terms of the spiritual life, there's this psychological element as well that we need to be able to to look at and be able to respect and also be able to nurture and nurture in a good way. So, so what does this all mean? Why did you even mention it? Well, let's go back to, to the example here, the terrible twos, terrible threes. Why are the kids so egotistical? And again, I, I reference this in the sense of when we hear the phrase, be a child, it's usually a negative connotation. One of the things that children do a good job reminding us in those terrible two and threes 
is that they need adult support to help them make the right decision, right? You do not expect a two or three-year-old to be able to look you in the eye and say, mom, dad, I got a fever under two degrees. I need to go to Dr. So-and-so. Can we go at three o'clock? No two or three-year-old is going to do that. What are they going to do? They're going to cry. They're going to want to crawl in their parents' arms. They're not going to want to do anything. They're dependent on their parent, their guardian. But the cool thing here, folks, is, is that this image of this dependence, so these egotistical kids that we call them, this, this, what we're looking at, it's a great illustration of how God wants to interact with us. We are always those egotistical children when you think about it at the end of the day. I can say that with complete honesty because there are many times where I do not count my blessings and I'm very egotistical. I will look to the crucifix. I will look to a statue of the Blessed Lady. I will pray up to the heavens and I will go, where is the stuff that I thought that you were going to give me? Very egotistical thought from Mr. George Tolman. But I'm nothing more than that two or three year old who's growing up. And what does a good adult do to that two or three year old? Does the, does the adult say, all kid, no, go figure it out yourself? Or does the adult basically say, or doesn't care? You know, what does the adult do? The adult helps the kid make a good decision. So if the kid comes to him and is crying and needs some help, the adult will figure out, is it worth going to the doctor or not? And then from that point, is there a remedy that we can do here at home? And then they will take care of the kid. Even if they don't want to, they'll probably take care of the kid. And then the kid feels loved, <laughs> loved beyond measure. And all they can do is think about how much they love you. Doesn't that sound a lot like our relationship with the father? It's very intriguing, right? God doesn't make a mistake, folks. Everything that we're doing here is completely part of God's will. And this is exactly how he wanted to teach us. So when we think about Advent, this time of preparation, one way to really get us going is to think about what it's like to be that two or three-year-old. And there's many of you on the air who know two or three-year-olds. Maybe you even remember what you were like to a degree when you were that age. You could think about how egotistical you were. But at the end of the day, when you really think about it, all you're doing is trying to seek love. You just need someone else to be able to help you. And during Advent, that's what God wants to do with us. He wants us to be dependent on him, to do what's right, to be able to lead us in the right direction in our spiritual life, to help us get into those situations where he will be glorified and not abandoned. Those situations where he will be par excellence in our lives rather than just the alternative option. He wants us to be dependent on him just like those two, three-year-olds are dependent upon their parents and the adults in their life. And God wants all of us, not part of us. And so he's going to do what he can to help remind us of that. So during Advent, think about that. Think about what it means to have a loving father who's willing to take on your egotistical self, to take on your toddler, two, three-year-old self all the time, and yet still love you immensely. Now, going back to what I said earlier to help bring things into perspective, I brought up that point of there's this thing going on in the Catholic Church right now that's really important. What, what is that? Well, what is that is that element of God, the loving Father. And I elaborated it a bit, but here it kind of comes full circle. If we know God as a loving Father, that is how we are going to look to Him as we have our temper tantrums. And dependent on where we're at personally, God will always desire to show us the way of His true love. He will need to communicate that differently because for some individuals, they're not going to have any concept of God, the loving father, because they never had a loving father in their lives. For other people, they did have a loving father in their life. So God's going to use that 
and give them the graces necessary to continue to grow. But regardless of wherever you're at on the spectrum, God, the loving Father, will never abandon you. He will always be there. During Advent, we are asked to remember that constantly. So all the stories that we're reading are all filled with hope. There's this healthy anxiety, if you will, of these prophets and others saying, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist, definitely, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. The Lord is coming. He is desiring to enter into your heart fully. He wants to be present in your life fully. And he's going to do so in his own way in your life, in your family's life. And he's asking for that childlike trust. But he's also asking you to be honest with yourself. And folks, I think one of the crimes that we do, and I know I do it, so that's why I'm willing to share with you, is we take things way too seriously in our own life. And we have way too much pride built up to where we don't want to turn to God as a child. And that's what we need to do. We don't need to turn to him as a psychologist. We don't need to turn to him as a banker. We don't need to turn to him as a dad or as a mom. We turn to him as a child. And as we turn to him as a child, God then pours his love over us and says, here you go. This is what you need. Now go out, do great things. When you come back, I'm here. And we do that over and over again. So that's number one. Celebrating Advent by being a child. God, the loving father, you are his child. You are his beloved. Turn to him. Now, with that said, too, what are some practical ways that we can experience that here on earth? There has to be something, right? And there is. I'm going to just think of one and share one. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Beautiful illustration of why we're children. Huh? Really, George? The Mass helps us understand that we are children? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here are a couple reasons why I say that. The first reason. I want you to think about a Catholic church in Montana, Nebraska, and Kansas. All right? Now, you may have never been to Nebraska or Montana, but what's a consistent thing about the Mass that you know is going to happen if you go to any of those three locations on a Sunday? You know that there's going to be a priest. You know there's going to be an order in the Mass. You know that there's going to be a homily. You know there's going to be the Eucharist you know there's probably going to be some kind of community thing afterwards, so especially on a Sunday, coffee and roll with some breakfast, or families are going to go out and treat treat each other to something. But regardless of where you're at in the United States, and I would say even in the world, even though languages are different, you know the sequence of the Mass. That's one thing that we take for granted, that some people again say, oh, that's you know boring, and why do we need to go to it? We need some more variety. No, you don't. You don't need more variety. And the reason why you don't need more variety is because I would argue that if you're a Catholic, even if you're a lukewarm Catholic, or maybe you haven't gone to Mass in years, and you go to another church that does not have what you're used to, and I'm talking about the basics. So let's say you go to a Catholic Mass and it looks like a, I don't know, some evangelical service. And nothing against evangelicals, but their service is way different. Okay. And let's say that that evangelical service calls itself a Catholic church. Let's just say that for example here. So you go to that. How would you feel? Regardless if you were a hardcore Catholic, if you want to call them that, the the daily mass goers, the frequent sacrament receivers, those guys, or if you were the Sunday goer, or maybe you were gone from the faith. If you go to a service that doesn't have the basic elements that we know of in the mass, you're going to be confused. And in fact, you're probably going to go, uh, Something ain't right here. And that's right. Something's not right. When our liturgy is changed, 
we get a little bit confused. And yes, there might be some positive feelings and emotions that come with going to other worship services. I'll be completely honest in that feelings and emotions sometimes don't happen for me at Mass. But I will tell you this, it does not matter. It does not matter what you feel, what your emotions are. All that matters is that you're in the presence of the Lord. They're with Him at Mass as He asks you to do. In fact, mandates you to do. Not because He doesn't like you and wants to make your life miserable, but because He loves you. He wants the family to be together at least once a week, just for an hour. That's all He was asking. And the days that he wants to celebrate in heaven, he wants the children to celebrate. That's what holy days of obligation are. Holy days of obligation are basically God's way of saying, look, we're going to bring the family together a couple more times because it is great. It's just like why we have things like Thanksgiving and some of those other holidays where we come together. Not all the time. You know, we don't have Thanksgiving in July. We have Fourth of July in July, but we don't have Thanksgiving in July. We don't have Thanksgiving in August. We don't have Thanksgiving in September. We don't have Thanksgiving in January. We have Thanksgiving in November. And it's a very special time and people look forward to it. That's what Holy Days of Obligation are. There's there's specific celebrations outside of the weekend that the God just asks to, hey, come be part of the family. Be part of my love because it's awesome being who we are. So again, why is this mass something that we can reflect on to remind us that we're children? Again, think about that commonality. Another example I want to give is, and this is just me being in education and and loving education the way I do, is is think about kindergarten classrooms. If anyone knows any good classroom management in elementary school, it's actually not that hard. Some individual cases are hard in terms of children, uh, but overall, it's really simple. You set a structure for your day. You put in breaks. You put in a chance for the kids to eat. You have a chance to go play, but you do that every single day. The routine is basically the same. And whenever the routine gets screwed up, trust me, us us educators are like, oh boy. That's why breaks kind of for us (laughs) as educators, um, because even though it's nice to be away from the kids, we know that when we get back, even though the batteries are refreshed, we got to hit the reset button a little bit because the routine is, is, is screwed up. And that routine is very important to keep discipline to keep focus, to keep the uh, intentionality of what we're doing alive in the classroom. Well, that's exactly what the Mass is. I mean, you know what's coming. Liturgy of the Word, Liturgy of the Eucharist. You're going to start off by probably singing some hymn, and hopefully your cantor's good. You get, priest gets up to the altar. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord be with you and with your spirit. All right, glory to God in the highest, and another peace to people of goodwill. You have the collect, let us pray. You have the Liturgy of the Word, First reading, second reading, responsorial psalm. Then you have the gospel. Then you have a homily in between. Okay, you'll get something from that. Then you have the offertory. From the offertory, then you have the beginnings of the Eucharist. Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts and lift up to the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just, right? You know, you know those responses. Then we get to the Eucharistic prayer. You get to the point where Father, when he says the words, this is my body which will be given up for you, and he holds the now consecrated host in the air, glorifying it even though he's limited he's glorifying the father by showing the son you hear the bells go off recognizing who's there people are kneeling there's this profound reverence and yes even though there might be kids in the background crying and there might be some other people not paying attention many of you who are listening to catholic radio know you are moved when our lord and savior is present at the altar then the wine properly consecrated because the blood of our lord same thing We get to communion. We know what to do, right? We know what to expect. Communion line go up. Then there's the final blessing. And then we're dismissed all within an hour. There's a routine, folks, in Mass to make us feel comfortable. So that regardless of how we feel, regardless of what our emotions are, 
We're there to learn. We're there to be disciplined. We're there to experience the love of the Lord. Just like in classrooms, elementary kids with that routine and that consistency, they are fed with knowledge. They are experiencing the love of their teachers and the other people in their class. You screw up that routine, it won't be fun going to church anymore. I promise you that. Because think about it. What happens if one day father goes 30 minutes, the next week he goes three and a half hours? Think about that. You'd go crazy. And then the next week, maybe it'd be one hour, right? And if you didn't know what was coming, you would have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, you'd be talking, oh man, something's not right here. God does the liturgy intentionally the way through Mother Church. He teaches Mother Church how to do the liturgy so that we don't have those anxieties going into Mass wherever we're at. Even if it's in a different language that we don't know, We understand that when that consecrated host is lifted up by the priest and there's bells going and people are kneeling or they're adoring the Lord, we know that we're probably at the liturgy of the Eucharist. We don't need words to know that. And so how does God remind us that we are children? Through the Mass. Because just like children need that routine in school, we need that routine in our worship. And just like at school, we get asked to do homework in our spare time to make us masters of our craft in the classroom. God does the same with us. We are children in his classroom, which is the church. And the teacher is the Holy Spirit. And the teacher, the Holy Spirit, will help us pray, will help us go to the Father properly. The Holy Spirit will help us throughout our day, even if we don't know it. Think about how many times teachers help their children in ways that they have no idea that they just helped them. Okay? Holy Spirit does the same exact thing. In different ways, of course, but the exact same concept. Out of love. And so what's another way that we can celebrate Advent by being a child? Think about the Mass. Seriously, think about the Mass. And think about what it does. Even the things that you find mundane and routine, think about why those exist and you will amaze yourself. God will help enlighten your heart to be able to see things the way they need to be, to know that this is absolutely beautiful. The Mass is absolutely beautiful and she is a great teacher. In fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church acknowledges that the liturgy is one of the prime teachers of the faith. How cool is that, right? Just show up to Mass and you'll learn something about the faith. Just like if you show up at school, you'll learn something about life, right? So we're going to go ahead and go to break right now. I think we're due for, at least for me, a little water break. So stay tuned after the break. We'll finish up our talk about how to celebrate Advent by being a child. I'm George Tolman, and we'll be back after the break. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the One Body Show. I'm George Tolman. We are finishing our thoughts today on what it means to celebrate Advent by being a child. And my examples were, number one, understanding that God is your loving Father, and to turn to Him Uh, just like the egotistical children do to their parents for anything from needs to wants, etc. Right. And then also I ended the talk before break discussing about how the mass 
as a way for us to learn more of God and also why we are children, because by the, through the liturgy, uh, God has done things to help us remember that we are children. So there's, that's why the routine is there. We, you know, you don't learn without routine. Repetition is there. You don't learn and experience things without repetition. One thing I also want to say with the mass is that there's a lot of movement and a lot of things that engage all of our senses. One of the things in elementary classrooms that's kind of taking a, I mean, it's, it's always been around in education, but it's really kind of catching um, some some momentum right now uh, just because of all the needs in our classrooms. This idea of multisensory learning and multisensory learning is just basically taking all of our senses and using them to the best of their ability to learn, which is why you will hear kids sing songs, clap their hands, use different kinds of stimuli, a bunch of different things uh, to help them learn. We're not just sitting in a classroom with a pencil in our hand writing answers on a piece of paper. That's only utilizing a handful of senses. Great teachers are able to utilize multiple senses at multiple times and change it up to be appropriate to whatever you're learning. And that multisensory learning is where we get a lot of good results in education, especially in our youngest children. Same can be said about the mass. We have music, we have rhythms, we have routine Uh, We have a class leader, like the cantor can be a class leader, if you will, to help us sing songs. Uh, All those things, you know, all combine into a multi-sensory approach to loving the Lord. And anyone who has experienced something very good during Mass or after Mass will tell you that when they've experienced that at Mass, it feels like all different parts of their body were part of that experience. And they could probably explain it to you. I know for me, my experience is where I have got the fullness of the Mass, uh, number one, I never really asked for it. God just gave it to me as a, as a very uh, wonderful gift. Uh, but all of my senses were in tune from vision to touch to hearing to smelling. All those things were all in focused attention towards the mass. And that's why we have things like incense, candles. We have uh, uh, pews. Pews actually came a little bit later in the past. You would just stand up in church, but pews actually to a degree to be able to help us sit, stand, etc. provides a little bit of movement. And so that's nothing negative. So that's pretty good. But again, back in the early days of the church, you never had pews. So you were kneeling and standing up for the whole period, the whole, or I should say the whole mass. Again, just, just all parts to help us learn our whole body being part of this experience. And so again, another reason why the liturgy helps us understand we are children. So to conclude this talk, I want to focus on one more area, and that is the learning element. So celebrating Advent like a child, I'm gonna go, I want to go back to, to children being egotistical because, again, many of you on the air know what I mean when I say terrible twos and threes. And a lot of times we just don't like those two, three-year-olds, right? But I want us to take a moment to kind of look back and think about why they act that way. And the reason why kids who are two and three act that way there's a lot of different reasons why. I'm going to highlight a few. The first reason that I'm convicted of as to why they act that way is because their bodies are changing immensely in that two to four-year-old period. When you think about it, folks, within three years, so by the time you're born again, you're an infant, so you're not doing too much other than really clinging to your parents because guess what? That's all you have. I mean, you don't survive without your parents if you're, you know, if you're an infant. But when you're two to four, you're learning everything from walking to boundaries to uh, different experiences. You're learning how to speak language, right? And you're learning what you can and can't do in terms of language. You're also learning about emotions and feelings. 
you're also learning about how to be in communion with other people. And when you really think about it, when you really sit back and think about how much change happens from two to four, because remember, folks, when they get to be about five, now, again, we have preschools that go from three to four, but when they hit the age of five, they're probably already in kindergarten. And now we have formal learning experiences that are happening in kindergarten. Letters, sounds, vocabulary, fluency, social skills, you know, mathematics. All these things were formally teaching at the age of five. From two to four, there is a lot of change happening. And honestly, I don't blame those kids for being egotistical. Seriously. You know, I'd love to hear what Dr. Ray Garendi has to say about this one. Um, he might have already said it. I just haven't been around to listen to his show. But again, my professional opinion is I don't blame them. I don't blame them for being egotistical at two to four because they are everything is changing so much. But here's the thing, folks. If adults provide structure and concrete examples in these kids' lives, you're able to get through the two to four year old period. Seriously, you're able to get through it. And that actually has some of the most consequential things that can happen to an individual, what happens between the ages of two and four, then what we do in formal schooling. And the reason why that's the case is because as the child is growing up and learning from the ages of two to four, everything in their body is now being receptive to what's going on around them. So how a kid responds to things like timeout, discipline is probably a better word overall, because some people don't like timeouts, so I'll use discipline here discipline, redirection, et cetera, whatever you want to call it, how those kids respond to that and how they interpret that really does shape how they interpret other things moving forward. So going back to my original thought, I was just setting up that, that little example, teaching. When we think about celebrating Advent to get closer to our Lord, there's usually always some mention about growing in your faith. And I would argue that growing in your faith can mean a lot of things. But I think one thing we have to remember is that as we're growing in our faith, we need to remember what those two and four-year-olds look like because we're them in the eyes of God. (laughs) We're them. And because we're them, egotistical, very self, you know, have have a lot of uh, self-love, if you will, God desires to turn that into something redemptive, meaning that he's going to change us or the people around us to be able to give us what we need. And what we need is God's love. We need his relationship. We need the connectivity to the Trinity. So what God's going to do is that in those moments, he's going to allow us to experience his loving father. And that's where the teaching comes in. One thing that makes that scripture makes absolutely clear, but we kind of forget in not only Catholic land, but any Christian group. What we forget is that there are many passages in scripture that support the use of suffering to be able to help us see what's going on in life. In fact, in the Catholic Church, we have something called redemptive suffering, where our suffering connected to the cross all of a sudden becomes redemptive. And in fact, that's what Jesus wants us to do. So what does that look like to the two, three, four-year-old? Anyone who has had a two, three, four-year-old knows what I mean when I say that sometimes those kids do not need everything that they ask, and they don't get their way all the time. So what do you do as a parent, a loving parent? You discipline them. To understand that, look, kid, this is not how we operate. You are going to thank me a lot later, but right now in this moment, you are not making a good choice. And here's the situation. Here's the consequence. The consequence is you are not going to be able to go play with your toys in the corner of the room. You need to sit here with me for two minutes. 
the kid pouts and is crying. I don't want to do this. And the life's miserable for two minutes, right? But after that two minutes is over, all of a sudden the kid gets over it and they've learned something. They've learned that there's boundaries. They learn that someone cares about them so much to tell them what not to do. They understand that, oh, life doesn't go the way that I want it to. Folks, think about us. <laughs> Our spiritual life, that could be the definition of it right there. We're that two, three, four-year-old child who God sits on the chair and goes, look, George, I know you want that extra money. I know you want more prestige. I know you want this, but guess what? That's just, I, that's, I don't think that's right for you right now. So because I love you, we're going to sit right here and we're going to wait it out for two, three minutes. And you can pout, you can cry all you want, kid, but I love you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm right here, but you're not going to get what you want. And you can debate with me all you want about why you need it. Guess what, kid? I know what you need. And that's what I'm going to give you. And I'm crying over here like, I don't like you. I don't, you know, why why am I doing this? You know, and y'all just suggest. And then after, you know, after it's over, I go, you're right, God. You're right. I didn't need that. And you're going to provide it anyway at a later time. All right. I understand. I learned my lesson. I move on. How fascinating is that, right? When we look at those two, three, four-year-old kids, look right back to ourselves and we're the same thing, except we have more wrinkles than they do. Fascinating, in my mind at least. So how does God teach us? He teaches us by encountering him in love, teaching us most likely through suffering, whether it be a little suffering or a big suffering, he's going to teach us. He is the only one that matters. And the reason why is because he is infinite. He is infinite love, infinite mercy, and he wants to give that to us. And why does he want to give it to us? Because he is love. And that's why he's giving it to us. So to how to celebrate Advent by being a child? Remember, God's teaching us every single day, every single moment. He's teaching us. Even if we don't recognize him, that's okay. God's still teaching us. And there'll be a moment when we do recognize him. And he's just going to simply ask, all right, well, how do you feel? And we're going to respond to him in prayer. That's what's going to happen, folks. All right. So again, in summary, what I just explained in this talk Nothing real special other than, hey, if if we want another way to celebrate Advent this year, remember what it's like being a child. Remember what it's like and experience that you are a child of God. And how children react, we probably act the same way to God the Father, don't we? But here's the cool thing. God the Father is going to allow us to love him, to experience his love more fully when we actually admit that we are his children compared to other things. And our job, when you think about it during Advent, regardless of whatever path you take, is to prepare the way for the infant baby Jesus. Our focal point for Advent is the child Jesus, because that is our destination. That is the star that we seek. That is the destination that we travel. And when we find it, we do not meet an adult at Christmas, do we? We meet a child. And that is a great reminder in conclusion now, my friends, why it's so important for us to remember that we are children of God. Properly oriented, God will work in us in ways that we will never understand, but be forever grateful. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to this this chat. Again, my name is George Toman, And until next time, God bless you all. Thank you for listening to Catholic Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Show, Stewarding God's Creation. 
You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, 88.1 KBDM Hayes and 88.1 KRTT Great Bend. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Somebody. 